All right, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms and the 50th chapter, please. Psalm 50. If you're using that book rack Bible in front of you there, you'll find that on page 888. Psalm 50. So we're taking a few weeks to think about the importance of gratitude. The series is called Gratitude or Grateful to the Core, Poetic Insights into a Thoroughly Thankful Life. We're calling them Poetic Insights because we're studying the book of Psalms and we're taking sort of a flyby because you can't cover a lot. There's 150 Psalms and a lot of territory to cover, but a big section of the Psalms deals with this idea of being grateful. And so we're taking the whole month of November just to consider that theme. Are we grateful people? Yet gratefulness turns whatever you have into enough. And when you're really grateful, it changes your life. And God uses gratefulness in a beautiful way to shape us and form us into the people that he wants us to be. So in this series, we've considered four action points about, about gratefulness. And the first thing we've said is that we need to make it our song. That means just it needs to transform our lives. And secondly, we've said that we need to bring it to church. Did you bring yours this morning? Are you grateful to God this morning? We need to bring it to church. It's a picture of God's blessing the nations, a zeal for the nations, a, a, an exalted view of God, a great sense of belonging. All that comes when we bring our gratefulness to church. And today we're going to look at putting it to work. And what this means is that all service, everything we do for God needs to flow out of a grateful heart. And next week in the last week of this series, we're going to look at what it means uh, to use it in witnessing. Letting people see and hear our gratefulness is an amazing tool for bringing the gospel to people's lives. So that's what this series has been about. Hope you've been tracking with us and going along. We see this window of, of gratefulness uh, in terms of how it stimulates us to serve and how service should flow out of our gratefulness in a couple of places in the Psalms. And I know you're in Psalm 50. Let me put a couple of Psalms on the, on the screen that we can just follow quickly. Uh, this one comes out of Psalm 56, 12 and 13. I am under vows to you, O God, the psalmist writes. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? He's saying, God, I'm grateful to you, and so I'm going to bring my vows to you. Now look over at Psalm 107, verses 22. It says, let them, that's the redeemed of the Lord, let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. There it is again, thank offerings. It's a picture of service. We'll see in a minute. Psalm 116, verse 17, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, a, a thank offering uh, is a picture of, of service. It's a picture of bringing our service to God. The correlative of the New Testament of the Old Testament thank offering is to serve God. So in the Old Testament, when we read this idea about bringing a thank offering to God, this is a picture of, of serving him. And serving him with the right heart. So we come to Psalm 50, and here you are, you're in Psalm 50, hope you are. And in Psalm 50, this is an amazing psalm. And you'll notice that the title of this psalm, most of your Bibles will show that this is a psalm of Asaph, okay? This is not a psalm of David or Solomon or one of the other writers of the psalms. David was the primary writer. This is a psalm from Asaph. Now, who was Asaph? I don't know if you know anything about Asaph. 
Asaph is sort of a, a person that is somewhat obscure in the Old Testament, but you read about him in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. He's one of David's appointed worship leaders in the tabernacle for God's people. Asaph is a guy that's part of, it's a small group of people who David assigned the task of bringing worship and leading worship in the tabernacle of God. If there's anybody that knew anything about worship leading, it was Asaph. And the sons of Asaph had that characteristic. We read about that in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 25 where, where there were 288 worship leaders of God's people. 12 uh, companies of 12, 24 divisions of them that circulated through the tabernacle when the ark of God came into Jerusalem where David set up his kingdom until Solomon had built his temple. And they carried out their duties faithfully. The sons of Asaph were the worship leaders of the Old Testament. They were the people that we saw on our stage this morning leading us in worship and the people that sat and played musical instruments. And are we grateful for those folks? We're grateful for the fact that God has gifted them and they're described in 1 Chronicles 25 as skilled musicians. These are not just anybody that decided to play their instruments. You know, sometimes I grew up in a church where people sometimes in special gatherings could bring their own instruments and play from the congregation uh, as people worshiped. And let me just tell you right up front, that was a terrible idea. Whoever had that idea should have been just taken out and banished from the congregation because people would show up and they'd have all kinds of instruments and there was just like this cacophony of sound. It was just crazy. And I remember sitting there as a kid going, what? You know, just couldn't understand this. So I appreciate when people bring their instruments and they're skilled and they're vetted and they play. These are the sons of Asaph. These are the skilled musicians that we read of in 1 Chronicles 6 and 1 Chronicles 25. And it tells us there that they're not only skilled, but they are young and old. The congregation of God's people are led by people of every age and every generation. It's a beautiful picture. So if anybody knew anything about worship in the household of the Lord, it was Asaph. And Asaph is going to talk about these thank offerings this morning that is our equivalent to service in the body of Christ in a very powerful way in this psalm, Psalm 50. So why don't we read it and get a context for what's being said here. Here we go, verse 1. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, beautiful, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice and the heavens proclaim his righteousness for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or the goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. But to the wicked, God says, 
What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. (laughs) Now I know, I know that some of you went, what? As you read through that psalm. It's a little difficult to kind of grasp what's going on here, but can I just... I'm going to give you some big pictures, and then we're going to dive in, and this is going to go real quick. If you got your outline there, I want you to notice points one and two are going to go boom, boom. Point three is really the focus of the sermon, and point four is sort of an addendum, okay? So we're going to really focus in on verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. Sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High. That's what Asaph is all about. He's saying, you guys are doing a lot of great stuff, but what God really wants is thank offerings. He wants service with a grateful heart. That's what he wants. And that's what they were not bringing him. Oh, they were doing the religious thing. They were fulfilling their vows. They were doing the sacrifices, but they weren't bringing thank offerings. They weren't sacrificing with a grateful heart. They were not serving with a grateful heart. And they were missing it. And not only that, the people of God uh, were, uh, excuse me, among the people of God, there were the wicked. Those are people that are not in covenant relationship with God, and they were missing it too. And that's why the end of this psalm reminds everybody, both saint and sinner alike, that he who sacrifices, look at verse 23, he who sacrifices thank thank offerings honors me and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. It's God's invitation for everybody to come and experience what God has for the person who serves him with a grateful heart. So that's it. That's the whole point of the psalm. So let's go back and let's dig in here. Let me show you four things that expressing our gratefulness to God means, okay? The first thing we're going to learn in verses 1 and 2 is that expressing our gratefulness to God through service begins with a clear picture. we got to get something really clear in our minds. And here's what it is, if you're taking notes. God's rule and reign in all the earth. Say that with me. God's rule and reign in all the earth. I want you to notice God's title, verse 1. The Mighty One, God the Lord. In the Hebrew language, El Elyon Elohim Yahweh. Three amazing titles of God. El Elyon, the most sovereign, the most high. In Canaanite worship and the worship of of the days where Asaph was worshiping the temple, all the neighboring nations of the world, they had all their little gods and their gods they called the great gods. And, And the first thing that Asaph says is, no, when we worship God, we are worshiping the most high God. We are worshiping the sovereign of the universe, El Elyon. And not only that, we are worshiping the creator of the universe, Elohim, the one who was revealed to us in Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our own image, the beautiful triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only is he 
the most high God, the creator God, but he is our covenant God. He is the great I am. He is Yahweh, the covenant name for God throughout the Old Testament. That's his title. This is his rule and his reign. Notice his territory. From the rising, verse 1b, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. What does that include? Anybody want to guess? Everywhere. God reigns everywhere. God is the God who reigns over all the earth. We get the point. We come before him this morning in worship and gratitude because he is sovereign over all things and reigns over the world. This is what we find in the New Testament spoken of Jesus in Colossians 1.16. Follow along as I read. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the what? The supremacy. Some of your Bible translations say that he might have first place in everything. Listen, God reigns, he is sovereign. Here's the question, are you submitting to his sovereignty? Are you coming under him in your life? Because if you're not, you're missing out. You're missing out on the purpose that God created you. Your life feels mixed up. You don't know which way to go, where to go, what your future is. Your life is a cacophony of trials and problems. And you're, you know, you've got the good days, but most days are frustrating. You don't know what's going on in your life. I'll tell you why. Because you haven't submitted your life to the one who is sovereign. The one who created you to be with him forever. And you're rebelling against him. And the, the text tells us right here, we don't love God. We don't want God. We're rebelling against what he's created us for. And even when we give our lives to God and we submit to his sovereignty, that doesn't mean life changes in terms of the problems we experience. I heard a story this morning. Someone said uh, that they knew somebody that had just recently given their lives to Christ. And 30 days later, one month later, they were diagnosed with an inoperable uh, cancerous tumor that, that is very, very serious and who knows, could take their life. And the one way you could look at that is, what? You give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden you got cancer? And I look at that as, wow, you gave your life to Jesus, and you get cancer? The, the picture changes when you realize that God is sovereign over all the things. What if you find out you would have gotten cancer 30 days later, whether you gave your life to Christ or not, right? You understand? So sometimes we think that, you know, God brings problems into our lives and, and why is this? I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have these issues in our life. We don't find that in the Bible. But what we do find is that we submit our lives to a sovereign God who knows everything in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he'll use all those things to transform us and to shape us more into his image. Nothing will be wasted in our lives. We can leave this world without any regrets because we know that God is sovereign over our lives. That's a beautiful truth. That's the territory of his reign. The title, the territory, look at the treasure, verse 2. The writer records, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Now we know Zion, that was the city of David. It was where David came up into the great city uh, of the Jebusites and, and conquered the city. And Zion was a place, the Mount Zion, the place where God visited his people. The symbol of God's presence among his people. But watch this. Old Testament, Zion. Look at this, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. The place is not what was important to the heart of God. It was the people of God. It was the covenant people of God. So whenever you read in the Old Testament the glory of Zion, just picture this, the treasure of God's people. 
And it sort of changes our emphasis or the way we look at Old Testament passages like this where the writer exclaims, Zion, perfect in beauty. This is a picture of the way God sees his people, that we are the joy of his heart, that we are the apple of his eye, that in Christ we are co-heirs. We receive the promised inheritance sealed in heaven for us. Praise God. And all of this, when you look at God's title, his territory, and knowing his treasure, is where service to him must begin. This is where it starts, seeing who God is. Do you see him this morning? Do you recognize who he is? He is El Elyon, Elohim, Yahweh. He is the creator God of this universe who wants relationship with you. And when you trust in him with faith, when you give him your life, when you turn from your life of sin and run to him in faith, he gives you a new life and he gives you life with him and you become his treasure. Expressing gratefulness to God through service begins with seeing a clear picture of him, his rule and reign. Secondly, it's motivated by a compelling reality. And here's the compelling reality, verses three through seven. God is our judge. Say that with me. God is our judge. Now this is really important. <laughs> what he's saying to us in verses three through seven, if you kind of look at the text and kind of see God comes, he will not be shaken, a fire devours before him, all around him a tempest rages. This is a picture of God coming to do some business with his people. And it finishes in verse six to say, for God himself is judge. You know, it's hard to serve the Lord the right way unless we keep in mind that God is our ultimate judge. Something for which all of us should be abundantly thankful for is only ourselves and God knows the truth about us. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. We should just be thankful for that. Only ourselves and God know the truth about us. That's a beautiful thing to be thankful for. And one of the things that governed my life as a young person, I remember when I got to be a senior in high school, my, I was the last kid, I was the youngest, I'm the baby in my family, I had two older sisters, and they had kind of moved out and moved along in life, and when I was a senior in high school, I was living alone at home, and my parents decided to do some traveling, and so I guess they thought I was trustworthy and they could leave the house and... And, uh, and I had a lot of friends that, you know, their parents would leave and they'd have these big raging parties and do all this kind of crazy stuff and all this. And I have to admit, I was tempted when my parents left town, and I'll never forget, my dad going out the door. He'd always turn around and look at me and say, now son, I trust you to take care of our house and be good. And he'd close the door. And, and I would think, all right, I got two weeks of living on my own, you know, or whatever it was. And you know what? Whatever I would be tempted to do or think about that might not be down the fairway of what my parents had in mind for me, what would bring me back to rationale and sanity was the fact that my parents were going to be coming home. <laughs> yeah. And I would have to reckon with them. Even if, watch this, even if I could do anything I wanted to do and keep it from them, I would be having a squared off relationship, conversation with my father about how things went, what went on right here in this home. And that was just enough to remind me and to keep me down the fairway of where I needed to be. You know, sometimes we forget as followers of God, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the things that should keep us in the fairway is the recognition is the recognition that our Lord is coming back and that, and that judgment is coming. Now watch this very carefully. Listen carefully or you're gonna miss something really important. The judgment as a believer, the judgment that we think about as a believer is not the crushing judgment of damnation. 
It's the reality that we will one day stand before God and give an accounting of the way we've lived our lives and the way we've served him in our lives. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, that everything's going to be burned up in our lives. We're going to stand before God someday and God's going to sort of allow this holy fire to sort of burn the, the chaff away from our lives. And the Bible tells us there in 1 Corinthians 3 that what remains will be rewarded and what is burned up will be gone. The hay, wood, and stubble of our lives. The things that we did, not from a pure heart. The service that we rendered, not with a grateful spirit. And that we just carried our duties out and we just did things by rote. And we became religious formalists. And God says, I'm not into any of that. That's not what I'm going to reward. And sadly, there'll be some people that actually thought they were God's covenant people because they went through the motions of doing those things. They went to church religiously. They carried out religious activities in their lives, but their hearts were never there. They never gave their lives to Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Have you left your life of sin and come into a relationship with the living God? Notice the three things about God being judged. Number one, he consumes with fire. He consumes with fire. And we've just talked about that. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that. I love what Hebrews 12, 29 says. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a what? A consuming fire. That's a picture of Deuteronomy 4, 24, chapter 9, verse 3. God says, I'm going to come with fire among my people. I'm going to burn through all the hypocrisy. I'm going to show people where they really are. And in the assembly of God's people, even here today, there's a fire that God is going to burn. And he's going to show us. He's going to reveal things in our lives that are not right, that need to be changed. Secondly, I want you to notice, not only does he consume, but he calls out to us, verses four and five. He calls out, he summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my consecrated ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. God's calling us together. In the New Testament, the correlative is what we're doing right here today. He pulls us into his presence and he counsels us with his word. This is beautiful. Do you realize that when you come to church, you're saying, God, open my heart. I want to listen for you. I want to hear your voice. I read a great book recently. It's called, someone gave it to me in the congregation. Thank you, Rob, for doing that. It's called Expository Listening. Oh, what a blessing this book was. You know why it was a blessing? Because I put about 14 hours, and that's, I'm, there's nothing big. It's, I wish I could do more, actually. I put about 14 hours a week into a message, into sermon preparation. That's just the what I do for, to stand here before you on a Sunday and preach the word of God. How many hours did you put in preparing for this sermon today? <laughs> all right, you see where the book I'm reading uh, took me? It says that we've all got to be preparing. We need to be preparing Monday morning for what's coming Sunday because God is calling us together and he's going to speak to us and we need to be ready. We need to be having soft hearts and open lives and, and being honest with ourselves and with others. And we need to come to terms with things that are not right in our lives and what needs to change and all that stuff. Every time we gather together, God is calling us to himself. He's calling us today. Thirdly, he critiques our ways, verses six and seven. I will testify against you, verse seven. This is what God says. 
I love you too much to let you wander off and do nothing with your life. God says, I love you too much to allow you just to carry on as if I don't exist. Listen, God is saying this to his covenant people. Don't you think God would say that to us today, his covenant people, where he'd say, I'm sometimes going to rattle the cage of your life. Sometimes I'm going to do things that you won't understand. Sometimes I'm going to bring some, some discontinuity into your life so that you'll lean into me better, stronger, more faithfully in your life. This is what God's word tells us. This is what he loves to do. So that's the second thing I want you to see, that, that the expression of gratefulness, first of all, starts with a clear picture of God. It's secondly motivated by a compelling reality, and that that is that God is judge. Here's a third thing, and this is really the meat of the sermon. Right here in verses eight through 15, expressing our gratefulness to God through service is maintained by a conscious awareness now, I couldn't give you one statement for this, so I'm going to break it down in three things. In verse 8, we're going to see that we need to be aware. Here's our conscious awareness. We need to be aware that service alone isn't what God's really after. Did you hear what I just said? Service alone isn't really what God's after. Here's what he's after if you're taking notes. He's after a grateful heart. Look at verse 8. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or burnt offerings which are ever before me. That's not what God's after. He says, I, I see him. You bring him. That's fine. But that's really not what I'm after. I'm after a grateful heart. It's very eerily similar to what Jesus said to the church at, at Ephesus in Revelation 2. The church at Ephesus, if you read the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, beautiful reminders to the modern church, to the church of today or any age, that God looks at the church and he sees what's happening in the church and he's got some things to say to the church. And the church at Ephesus heard this from God, from the Lord Jesus himself, the Lord of the church. He said, I see your deeds, I see what you're doing, I see you're involved, I see you do it passionately, but I've got this one thing against you, you've left your first love. Wow. You've left your first love. Now, commentators have speculated, does that mean that we've left our first love for Jesus? Could be. Does it mean that we've left our love for each other? Could be. Could it mean that we've left our first love of reaching our world for Christ? Could be. All of those things would be leaving our first love. Our first love, of course, is the Lord Jesus, out of which all that stuff comes. A love for each other, a love for a world that needs to know Christ. And when we go through service without really engaging our hearts with gratitude, that's exactly what happens. Secondly, verses 9 through 13, we need to be aware, consciously aware, that God doesn't even need what we offer him because he already has everything. He doesn't need what we offer him. You know, sometimes we get the feeling that if I don't do my job, God's in big trouble. Sometimes you even feel that way by what pastors say. You know, if you don't do the way God, what God's gifted you to do, and you do, if you don't do that, man, we're in trouble. The church is in trouble. God's in trouble. No, we kind of get this sense that we are so important. We're not. Now, the beautiful thing is God includes us. He wants us to be involved. Why? So that we can glean the blessing. God wants to bless his kids. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply in our spiritual lives. He wants us to experience life the way he designed it. But the stuff that we bring to him is really actually not all that big to him. In fact, you've read this, these passages before. Every, 
In fact, there's a little play on words here. I just pointed out. Notice the pronouns, yours and mine. In verse 9, I have no need for the bull from your stall. The emphasis here is yours. God's kind of saying, I don't need what you have. The stuff that you're emphasizing in your life. For every animal of the forest is mine. God comes back and he says, mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills, mine. I know the bird in the mountains, mine. Mine. I remember we, rose, we raised little girls and now they're grown girls. And when they were little, I remember this one time, they were fighting over their Barbies. You know, we had about a thousand Barbies or something. They were fighting over them. I said, that's it, I've had it. These are my Barbies. Nobody gets to use them unless you ask me. And I remember one time someone was over and one of our kids said, hey, Dad, can I play with your Barbies? And that was, that was not, not a good moment. But in truth, they were mine. I bought them, I paid for them. They were mine. God says, God says, all that stuff you have, all that stuff that you bring to me, mine. You know, it would help us a lot if when we got something, we bought something, we just say, God, this is yours. This is yours. So, Lord, how do you want to use it? How do you want to use the money I have in my bank account? How do you want to use the, the resources, the home I live in, the space that I live in, the cars that I drive? How can I share? How can I use these resources for you? Because, Lord, you, you're not impressed with me saying, Lord, look at what I'm bringing to you. Because you say to me, this stuff is mine. Thank you for letting me direct you to use it well. We need to be consciously aware of that. I love the psalmist, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Isn't that good? Verses 14 and 15, here's another thing we need to be aware of. We need to be aware that only service that flows from a grateful heart pleases God. That's why he says the crescendo here, verse 14, sacrifice, thank offerings to God. That's juxtaposed to verse 7 where he says, actually verse eight, where he says, I don't rebuke you for your sacrifices. What I do rebuke you is you're not, you're not sacrificing thank offerings. You're not serving with a grateful heart. Okay? So that's really the sermon in a nutshell. I mean, that's it. Uh, God wants us to serve and he wants us to serve with a grateful heart. He's looking at our hearts right now and he's seeing what's in them. Now, as an addendum, and this really caught me off guard when I was studying this text, that verses 16 through 22 is sort of a, a subtle but very powerful reminder that within the context of God's covenant people, there were those there as Asaph. I mean, if anybody knows anything about worship and the leading of God's people, it was Asaph. And Asaph says, God says through Asaph, there's a bunch of folks in this congregation that have not yet trusted in this God, Yahweh, Elohim, El Elyon. They're coming into the presence of God, but they're not bringing the sacrifice of praise. They're not coming as covenant people. And he's going to point out what they miss. Expressing our gratefulness to God through service is altogether missed by those outside of God's family. I mean, the reality is nobody understands what we're doing here today if they're outside of God's family. And the reality is some of you here today don't understand either. 
Because while there may be some things that you like about coming together on a Sunday, you're really not engaged in the purpose for which we're here. Um, Verses 16 and 17 tell us that they miss out on the purpose of God's word. The wicked, to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. You see, whatever ha- religious formalists who just go through motions, who read scriptures off of a screen or even read it out loud out of a Bible because they think that that's some you know, uh, uh, mysterious way to somehow get approval for God from God, that religious formalism is always a, an attempt to get approval from God. But the whole difference of a covenant relationship with God is what we do for God flows out of one thing, a grateful heart. We're not trying to get God's approval. We're not trying to win his favor. We're not trying to get on the good side of God. God has sent his son Jesus to be the sin penalty, the payment for our sins. And when he did that, he did that so that you and I could have eternal life. All these words are actually listed in your outline, and I'm looking at the clock here, and there's something really important I want to do. So I'm just going to read them down, and the second thing is they'll miss the dangers of falling in with unscrupulous people. You can read it, but I need to say it. It's important. They miss the importance of their words and their destructive power. Verses 19 and 20. They miss knowing the character and patience of God, verses 21 and 22. And ultimately, verse 23, they miss the blessing of honoring God by bringing the sacrifices of thanksgiving. All I can think about is what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Everything flows out of gratefulness. Paul's life flowed out of gratefulness. What you do, what you do here, what you do at your work, what you do in your neighborhood, what you do for God, wherever you do it, must flow out of a grateful heart. If it doesn't, you miss it. And it's gonna be burned up when you get to the judgment as a believer in Christ. Or you're going to get to the judgment and realize you were never a believer because some of us have just banked our lives on religious formalism. And God says, wake up, get the blessing I've intended for you. So, put it to work. That's what gratefulness does. Now this morning, you know, we always call people to come to Christ. And we do that almost every service. This morning, God just put it on my heart to do this publicly. Um, And I don't know why. But I'm going to just be obedient to the Lord. As we come out and uh, worship the Lord in these final minutes of the service, I'm going to invite all of us to, to uh, stand. Stand with me right now, in fact. Let's just do this. Stand together. I'm going to pray a brief prayer. And I'm going to pray on behalf of any of you today that might realize by the grace of God that you're in verses 16 through 22. You're outside of God's family and you need to be inside of God's family. And the only way to do that is to leave your life of sin and trust in Christ and give him your life. And you can do it right where you stand, of course. But I don't know. The Lord just kind of whispered in my heart this morning, do this publicly today. 
So if this morning is the day that you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to have Pastor Mark up in the balcony. He's going to be right up in the center area there. And I'm going to be standing right down here. And as we worship the Lord, um, yeah, it might take a little bit to get out from wherever you are, but you come and we got a little packet called Following Jesus. And your assignment today is simply just to read through this cover to cover. It'll take you all of about 30 minutes to do or 20 minutes and really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and begin your life with Jesus today. All right, so Lord, we just come before you now and Lord, your work and your will to be done in our midst and we are a grateful people and you brought someone today, Lord, that needs to trust you as their Lord and Savior, to leave the life of sin that they're in and trust you and only you. And I pray that there may be someone today, maybe just one, I don't know, Lord, you brought the people here. There might be someone who would even step out from wherever they are and say, that's me, thank you, Lord. And may the rest of us, Lord, just be in prayer and worship and thanksgiving out of our hearts of gratefulness for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.